be reading from the New King James Version. The word said, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I want to speak to you for a few moments this morning a message I've just simply titled, What a Friend. What a Friend. If you will, pray with me and for me today. Father, we thank you once again for your presence. What a wonderful, awesome presence we feel in this place today. We thank you now, Lord, for your word. Lord, I pray for the next few moments that I would decrease, that your spirit may increase. I pray, Lord, that I would not speak my words today or with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but that I would share the word that you've given me to share with this body today about the friend that you are. I pray, Lord, that you would remove every distraction and every hindrance that would hinder and prohibit us from hearing and receiving what you would speak to us today through your word. I pray you would anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive. And Lord, ultimately, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister today in this place, touching hearts and changing lives. We give you praise and thanks for what you're going to do in and through your word today in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. I want to talk about friends for a few moments today. Everybody needs at least one good friend. Somebody help me preach. Everybody needs at least one good friend. Now, psychologists have concluded this. Your ability to completely trust at least one person is the test of whether or not you are a psychologically healthy human being. Let me say that again. Psychologists have concluded that your ability to completely trust at least one person is the test of whether or not you are a psychologically healthy human being. And even though relationships can be difficult at times, somebody help me preach in this house today. Even though relationships can be difficult at times, there are ups and there are downs, but life is better lived with friends. Can I get an amen? Now, studies show that if you have no one in your life, medical, mental health studies show that if you have no one in your life that you really feel understands you, you will be two to three times more likely to die an early death you will be four times more likely to suffer from emotional burnout. You will be five times more likely to suffer from clinical depression. And you will be ten times, this one is mind-boggling, more likely to be hospitalized for an emotional or mental disorder. Simply put, having a true friend is crucial to your mental health. I want to tell you today that there are two ways that you can walk through this life. One is with friends, and the other is without friends. But I can also tell you that with friends is so much better. Somebody say amen. There was a Roman philosopher by the name of Cicero, and he was so convinced of what I just said that he once said in his life, this is a direct quote from him, he said, if 
when I die, I can count on the fingers of one hand the number of true friends that I have. I would be the wealthiest person on the planet. If when I die, I can count on one hand the number of friends, true friends that I have, I would be the wealthiest person on the planet. So for all of you who brought somebody to church today or all of you who came with somebody to church today, thank you for being a good friend. Let's give them a hand today. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live, and Solomon understood the need for friends. That's why in our main text today of Proverbs 18 and 24 that we just read, it reads, that same passage reads this way in today's New International Version. It says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Or the English Standard Version says it this way, some friends play at friendships. Somebody said, I know that's right. But a true friend sticks closer than one's nearest kin. And the Message Bible translation, one of my favorites, says it like this, friends come and friends go. But a true friend will stick by you like family. I want you to listen to the depth of friendship that Solomon calls us to in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. In verse 9, we read that he said two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So with friends at our side, we are more productive. Verse 10, he said, if, neither of, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So a friend is able to carry us. Drop down and look at verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Friends make us stronger because true friends have our back. We need friends. The incredibly talented, famous baseball player Ty Cobb realized this far too late in his life. Near the end of his life in 1961, he was quoted for saying this, If I had the chance to live my life over, I'd do things a little different. I'd have more friends. He came to the end of his life with no friends and realized that life is not complete without a soul partner. So this is what Aristotle's definition of friendship was. Aristotle said, he posed the question, what is a friend? He said, a friend is a single dwelling in two bodies. I want us to consider the friendship this morning of David and Jonathan. One of the worst things that can happen to you in life is for you to come to the place where King David found himself after Jonathan's death when he said these words. He said, I have no man who cares for my soul. One of the greatest stories of friendship in Scripture is the story of David and Jonathan. We read that Saul was king and that his son Jonathan was the next one in line for the throne, but because of Saul's wickedness and because of Saul's sin, God chose us to dethrone Saul's family and place David on the throne instead. And Jonathan was keenly aware of this, and yet, even though he knew this, Jonathan continued to be a friend, even though it would mean his own demise and his own downfall. 
We catch a glimpse of why Jonathan not only didn't seem to be bothered by David's favor, but in fact, Jonathan, we find, helped to protect David's life. In 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1, Scripture says that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. If you've got somebody in your life that loves you as much as they love themselves, you've got a true friend. And David reveals the depth of their relationship. I want you to look at this in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 26 in the NIV. He gets the word of Jonathan's death, and David says it this way. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. Now, that sounds odd to us because the reality is that most of us don't even understand or fathom that kind of deep friendship between two people. Because really in society today, our concept of friendship is so shallow and so weak that we think that that kind of connection sounds weird or even odd. But can I tell you this morning, we need those kinds of deep, genuine friendships and connections in this life. We need them. So what was it that made Jonathan the poster boy, if you will, for being a good friend? There's many reasons, but let me just talk about three of them this morning. First of all, loyalty. Jonathan was loyal. Loyalty is a lost virtue in today's society. Say amen, somebody. Secondly, he was selfless. Jonathan gave and he gave and he gave and he wanted nothing. He expected nothing in return. Jonathan sacrificed himself for the good of his friend. He was willing to live a life of continually decreasing. And thirdly, he was egoless. Jonathan was not jealous. He preferred David over himself. Jonathan exhibited three very important components of friendship. Now, there are four additional stories in Scripture that I believe also speak to friendship that help complete the picture of a true friend, and I want to share them with you very quickly this morning. First of all, the story of Ruth teaches us that a true friend will go where you go. The story of Ruth teaches us that a true friend will go where you go. Ruth chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 in the message translation said, but Ruth said, she was talking to Naomi, and Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'm going to die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me God. She said, not even death itself is going to come between us. Where you go, they go. Your people are their people. Just by mere association with you makes them okay with them. Anybody ever wrestled with a friend that wasn't okay with your other friend? That's not a true friend. I said that's not a true friend. Death itself couldn't separate you. They will travel with you, listen to me, they will travel with you when you're on the mountain, but they will also travel with you when you're down in the valley. They won't abandon you when you take a wrong turn. They'll allow grace and mercy for the fact that you took a wrong turn. They will follow you wherever you go. Listen to me this morning. 
Some friends can handle your struggles, but they can't handle your success. But I'll also tell you this morning, some of your friends can handle your success, but they don't want to deal with your struggles. They'll turn on you. Some will be there when everything is good, when everything is flowing well, but as soon as that comes to a stop, they're out. They bail. You don't hear from them anymore. But true friends stick with you. Nothing will separate you. Can I tell you this morning, you need somebody that will go with you. Secondly, a true friend will resource you. We don't talk about this much. It's the truth. It is a truth that Jonathan and David understood. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing... And he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. He gave him everything. See, Jonathan and David were committed to resourcing each other. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. I think we understand this pretty well in marriage. But have you come to the place in life that you understand this with a true friend? Or do you hold back? Isn't that the moral of the story of the Good Samaritan? He said, I'll use my oil. I'll use my wine. I'll use my mode of transportation. I'll use my money to make sure that you are taken care of, nursed back to health, restored, and have the possibility of living a good life. I'll resource you for life. During trouble and after trouble, your health at my expense. Listen, you may think, I don't know about being that kind of friend, but let me tell you, from somebody who got a death sentence when I was 30 years old and had a great job, but I had two small kids that were seven and three at the time, and I was six days in London Hospital, airlifted to Lexington, and 11 days in Lexington Hospital, not able to work, not able to be with my family, I want to tell you, I learned really quickly who my true friends were. And they, thank God, they resourced my family. And when you resource somebody that is in need, they will never forget your contribution to their life. So I ask you this morning, who do you have in your life who will expend emotionally and even financially if needed for you? And better yet... Who do you have in your life that you are willing to expend yourself emotionally and financially for their benefit? Thirdly, a true friend will love you when you stink. A true friend will love you when you stink. Mark chapter 16 shows us that Jesus himself was that kind of friend. You've got to remember, one of his three closest friends in life had done the unthinkable. At the moment that Jesus needed friendship the most, we find that Peter denies that he ever knew Jesus. Three and a half years of friendship just cast away like it was nothing. Just walked away from it, back turned, self-centered, betrayed by one of his closest friends. Anybody know the feeling? But Jesus was still a true friend. I want you to hear the kicker in Mark chapter 16. I want to join the story as the women have gone to anoint the body of Jesus in verse 5. The word said, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. 
Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Peter was one of the disciples, but he made special mention when he said, Go tell the disciples, but also go and tell Peter. Peter was singled out. He was remembered when most people would have forgotten him. He was included when most people would have excluded him. He was a special mention when most other people wouldn't have even given him a footnote. Listen to me this morning. Jesus is teaching us that friendship can never be based on whether or not I am perfect. It can never be based on whether or not I always do everything right. It can never be based on whether or not I am always good. Jesus never cast anybody away. Jesus never discards anybody and says, I'm done with you. I'm glad this morning that he's a God of not only second chances, but third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and tenth chances. Jesus will never... Never give up on you. And I need to tell you this morning, I need somebody in my life who will love me even when I'm wrong. You are ever wrong? Just ask my wife. She'll quickly tell you. I need somebody in my life who will believe in me when I fall and when everybody else thinks I stink. You need somebody in your life who will believe in you and speak life into you even when your life stinks. A true friend will accept you and love you in spite of your mess. A friend is one who knows you as you are, understands where you've been, accepts who you've become, and still gently invites you to grow. They call us beyond our stink. And fourth and lastly this morning, a true friend will die for you. Not just physically. Jesus himself said in John chapter 15 and verse 13, he said that the greatest example of friendship is when a person will lay down their life for their friends. Lay your life down. That means when I am too busy to go, I still go. That means even when I'm tired and physically exhausted, I still have the energy to listen and to talk. That means when life is crazy. Anybody ever had life be crazy? When life is crazy, you still take time to deal with somebody else's craziness. Somebody said, now wait a minute, I ain't got no crazy. I want to meet you after service. Somebody else said, there's 10 kinds of cray-cray in here. I'm going to tell you, no, whatever the count is, there's over 400 kinds of cray-cray in here today. We've all got our own crazy. Another version of the scripture says, put your life on the line for your friend. Your life and your plans stop when somebody else is in need. A friend is a Moses who will say, 
If you're going to kill them, you're going to have to kill me too. We all could use friends like that. It's champions like David's friends. This is a whole sermon I'll probably have to preach. It's a great story. You never hear of it. When I was looking at the names, I, I used this thing called Bible speak, so I'd try to say them right. But it was companions of David's, and their name was Joshua Bashabeth, Eleazar, and Shammah. And what these three people did was just because David had this crazy craving for water from Philistine. But Philistine, Philistine had been inhabited by Bethlehem. But just because he had this crazy craving for water from, you know, that's like some of y'all that think you can't drink anything but Fiji. Right? Or Dasani. Well, when you get out to the camp today, if there's not Fiji or Dasani, I'm sorry. It's probably Deer Park and Great Value. Come on, somebody. But just because David had a crazy craving for this specific water from Philistine, these friends penetrated an impenetrable city that was overtaken, and they brought David a drink. And I want you to listen to David's response. He said, this isn't just water. It's their lifeblood. They risked their very lives to bring it to me. They laid down their life. They put their life in danger for the sake of their friend. That's a true friend. I want to ask you this morning, who's willing to go into the enemy's territory for you? Who are you willing to go into the enemy's territory for? Who risks their life for you? Who is it that you can call at any hour of the night? And who makes room in their life for you when they seem like they don't have any time to spare? Who takes a chance for you? I'll tell you who. A true friend. There are three or four, sorry, stages or levels of relationships. And one man said that Jonathan may be the scarcest species on planet Earth. Why is that? Why is a true friend so scarce? Why is a true friend so hard to find? And why is it so hard to be a true friend? Most people are not willing to go deeper in relationships. There's four stages or levels of relationships. The first one is a facade. That's small talk, public appearance. Some people never get past this, and therefore they never develop deep relationships. I've, I've come across people in church before that have said, oh, no, I don't want to get to know anybody. I don't want to get to know people. Listen, I want to tell you, you need to get to know people. You need to get connected to people. You need to go beyond that facade. That's a facade. Secondly is an acquaintance. That's the second stage or level. And this is where you share some of your private sentiments and opinions, but there's just a really small amount of risk. There's not much risk involved. The third one is a friendship. And to get to this level, you got to be you must willingly become vulnerable emotionally. We share all types of feelings, but we withhold the deep ones, don't we? We keep those buried in where nobody else can see them. That's why that fourth stage, that fourth level of relationship is important. It's called intimacy. This is where we expose it all. This is where I hope you are with the Lord today. I hope you have exposed it all to Him. We become willing to talk about painful memories wounds and reflections that make us who we are. How many know this morning, sometimes we are the way we are because of some of the things we've been through. But when you are intimate with people, 
they get to learn that and they get to know that and they have a deeper appreciation for who you are. See, the problem is, though, that some of those things sometimes cause us to feel shame if we're being truthful. We share our dreams and our life goals with people. And if you have some of those types of relationships in your life, I want to tell you, it will cost you time. It will cost you energy. It will cost you listening. It will cost you obtaining and keeping confidence. It will cost you being vulnerable. It will cost you being honest. It will cost you being transparent. That's a word I use a lot around here about myself. It will cost you risk, and I'm going to throw something else at you. You're going to need to have some thick skin if you have those kind of relationships in your life. But if you have that person in your life, you need to contact them this week and love on them. And let them know how thankful you are to have such a scarce treasure. To have that true friend in your life. And maybe, maybe they're here today. And maybe you need to let them know how much you appreciate their friendship. Folks, we don't ever have to find ourselves in David's condition. That's what being in the body of Christ is all about. Somebody help me preach. We don't ever have to find ourselves alone. We are better together. That's what being in the body of Christ is all about. We become friends. Does that mean that we all agree on everything and we all see everything just alike? No. But it means we get to know each other and we appreciate each other and we become friends. And then after we become friends, what do we become? Family. That's why being in the body of Christ is so important. Doing life together. You need those kinds of relationships in your life. You need them. And I'm almost finished, but also I can't tell you all of those things without telling you this morning about a friend that sticks closer than a brother. This friend will stick closer than blood relatives. This friend will even stick closer than your church friends. And you know who I'm talking about this morning. His name is Jesus. He is loyal. We've talked about that. He was selfless. He was egoless. He came down to where we are. And he has resourced us. He gave us his righteousness and his power for our sin and our weakness. Is anybody glad about that this morning? And he will love you in spite of your stink, regardless of how bad you stink. Listen, it does not matter how bad you've messed up. It does not matter how many mistakes you've made. It does not matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how many times you might have asked him to forgive you. It doesn't matter how many times you found yourself sitting in church yet again to think I'll never be able to make it. You may never be able to make it on your own, but I want to tell you, you can't go far enough. You can't sin enough. You can't fail enough. You can't be a big enough mistake that God will ever discard you and cast you out. He's always waiting with open arms to receive you back. He laid down his life for us this morning. What a friend. I said, what a friend. As they come to the music this morning, Jesus is our best friend. We're not going to sing it, but 
There's an old song that said it like this. What a friend we have in Jesus. All of our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege that we have to carry everything. That's getting intimate with God. Everything to God in prayer. Watch what else it says. Oh, what peace that we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. And it's all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. How do I adequately describe such a friend to you this morning? I want to tell you that even after walking with him all of these years, I feel like my words are so inadequate to describe him to you. But if you will oblige me for just a moment this morning, I want to tell you just a few names that this book uses to describe him. He is Almighty One. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is our advocate. He is the Ancient of Days. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the bread of life. He is the bridegroom. He is the bright and morning star. He is my buckler. You know what that means? He fastens me. He holds me in. He is my chief cornerstone. He is the consuming fire. He is my creator. He is my defender. He is my deliverer. He is my dwelling place. He is my everlasting father. He is faithful. He is my fortress. He is my healer. He is my helper. He is my hiding place. He is my high tower. He is holy. He is hope. He is Jehovah. He is the lifter of my head. He is the light. He is the Lord of lords. He is the lover of my soul. He is majesty. He is maker. He is mighty one. He is the most high. He is my portion. You know what that means? He's just the right amount. Huh. Woo! He's just the right amount. Whatever you need, that's what he is. He is the potter, always molded and making us. He is the prince of peace. He is my protector. He is my redeemer. He is my refuge. He is my rock. He is my ruler. He is my savior. He is my shelter. He is my shepherd. He is my shield. He is my song. He is the spring of living.
Is he any of those things to you? If he is, why don't you stand to your feet and give him a mighty shout of praise in this house this morning? Come on, the word said he inhabits the praises of his people. Give him a mighty shout of praise this morning. What a friend. What a friend. I don't know what he is to you this morning, but he is all of that and more to me. I just barely skimmed the surface. I'm so in awe of Jesus. And if you haven't met him yet, I pray that you will allow us to introduce him to you today. If you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, there's a room full of people here right now that will testify with me to you. Jesus Christ will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life. And knowing this friend, knowing, not knowing about this friend, but knowing this friend, is the only way you'll ever truly discover your purpose in this life. I told you I'm a transparent person and I'm going to be really transparent right now. I had one of those weeks this week. Anybody ever had one of those weeks? Your pastor has that sometimes. See, the enemy knows the enemy knows when there's something in the works. And he'll do everything he can, even if that includes giving me a bad week that's not relative to today. He'll do anything and everything he can to put a stop to it. And all day long on Thursday, I said, God, I told you I'm transparent. That's just who I am. I said, God, I got nothing. I got nothing. I've got to preach friends and family day on Sunday. I got nothing. Normally I have something turning. God, do you want me to continue on true worship? Do you want me to do something else? Because God, I got nothing. I got up Friday morning. Friday's my study day. And I began to study. And I thought, God, I got nothing. Help me here. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a break. I've not been on Facebook in a few days. I think I'll scroll Facebook and check my notifications and do all that. I responded to some notifications, and I followed this page called God's Armor. Scrolling down, I come across a post on God's Armor page. And it said, I woke you up for a reason. God. That's all it said. I woke you up for a reason, God. All of a sudden, my mind went racing back to 16 and a half years ago when I was given a death sentence. And I told you a little bit about that. I had a blood clot in my left leg from the middle of my calf all the way up to my groin in this leg, 75% clotted. And I'm not going to go into all of the detail of that, but I was six days at London Hospital 
until they flew me out and then I was 11 days at UK and once I got to UK, everybody that walked in my room, every doctor, every intern, everybody that walked in my room said, you've got cancer somewhere in your body. We just have to find it. That's what the clot has come from. I was improperly diagnosed until a test result came back that revealed what I actually have. But I'm just telling you all that to tell you this. My mind went racing back to 16 and a half years ago when I read that that said, I woke you up for a reason, God. And I began thinking about how I remember praying on that helicopter. See, I knew I was called to preach, but I didn't want to do it. Can I be transparent? I didn't want to do it. You may say, Lord have mercy, I've come to this church today. What is this pastor telling me? I'm going to be real with you. Is that okay? If you come to this church, you're going to find some people, some real people with some real problems that serve a real God that can really solve them. And I prayed on that helicopter and I said, because what I wanted to do was sing. Because when you sing, you don't take the risk of saying something that makes people mad. What happens when you sing is people pat you on the back after service and say, man, you did good today. You brought it today. This team brings it every Sunday. That's what I wanted to do. But I prayed and I said, God, if you'll bring me through this, and if you'll let me keep my leg, I will preach your word until I die. I was 30 years old at the time, and I remember praying and saying, God, they brought my babies to the hospital to see me. Abby was seven, Shelby was three, and I remember them crawling up in the bed with me, and when they would leave, I would cry, and I would say, God, please let me see my babies grow up. Please let me live to see my babies grow up. I was getting all this negative information in my life. But I remember praying that prayer. And when I was sitting there on Friday morning, I heard the Lord speak to me. And he said, I've been waking you up every day for the last 16 and a half years for the same reason that I woke you up this morning. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this is my purpose. This is my purpose. And when you surrender to God, you will find your true purpose in life. The enemy thought he had me. The enemy thought at 30 years old, he had me and I was going to be gone. But I'm here to tell you, 47 years old, 16 and a half years later, Jesus said no. The devil can't have him. Death can't have him. He's mine and he's going to walk in my purpose for his life. I told you that to tell you this. How many knows you can know about somebody? And that's entirely different than knowing them. So there's a lot of people here this morning that might just know about Jesus. But do you really know him? Because really knowing him is the only way you'll ever discover your purpose in this life. The enemy would like to make you think differently. Oh, there's nothing to that. There's nothing to what those people are doing today. I just challenge you this. Try him for yourself and then come talk to me. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room today, and please, for just a moment, no moving around and nobody looking around. If you say, Pastor, I hear this message today, and if I was to go out into eternity unexpectedly today, 
I just, I'm not 100% sure that I would make heaven. I'm just not 100% sure that I'm saved and I'm ready to go. If that's you, with nobody looking around, would you just please slip your hand up and just put it back down real quickly? Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over the room. Church, begin to pray. Anybody else that would say, Pastor, I'm just not 100% sure. Listen, there's no shame in admitting I'm just not 100% sure. Just slip your hand up if you would. Put it back down. Thank you. Yes, more hands. Thank you. Listen, I want to tell you this morning, regardless of what the enemy has told you, this Jesus that they sing about, this Jesus that I'm preaching about this morning, he has a purpose for your life. I said he has a purpose for your life. That purpose may not be the same purpose that he had for my life, but he has a purpose for your life. And salvation is so simple, both the world and the church have complicated it far beyond what it should be. It's as simple as your ABCs. A, admitting that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. B, believing that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He died on the cross for your sins, that He was buried and that He rose on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And then C, if you'll confess Him, if you'll invite Him into your heart and ask Him to forgive you of your sins and be the Lord of your life, and then you will confess Him with your mouth, the Bible said, and you believe in your heart, you shall be saved. It is that simple. So I want to challenge you this morning. Don't leave this room today without him. Every head bowed still, every eye closed. If you lifted your hand this morning, I'm I'm positive that if you might ask them whoever invited you to church today, they would go with you. Would you make a bold step this morning from where you are? Would you grab them by the hand and step out of your seat and make your way to this altar this morning? Would you do that? Nobody's looking around. And don't worry anyway, today's about to be the best day of your life. I said today's about to be the best day of your life. You don't have to leave here in the same condition. Would you just grab them by the hand and would you just step out from where you are and make your way to this altar this morning right now? If you'll move right now across this room. Thank you. They're coming. If you raised your hand, come on, I need some prayer warriors to pray with them. Come on, if you raised your hand, come on, don't don't sit back. If you raised your hand, come on. It's going to be the best day of your life, sweetheart. I came to tell you that today. Come on. All over this room, if you raised your hand. Hallelujah. Church, we ought to celebrate. Hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah. Today's the best day of their life. If you didn't move out of your seat today, it's still, you still got an opportunity. You still got time. But I want to invite everybody else in this house. Maybe you just want to come and say, Jesus, I'm so in awe of you. I worship you for what a friend you are this morning.